0: This is Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends, with me, Dr. Santo D. Marabella, your workplace advisor and teacher. Welcome to another episode of Office Hours with the Practical Prof and Friends. This is Santo Marabella. I'm really happy to be here with you again and, you know, we're doing something a little different this time. Usually it's people I know, people f- who are, quote, friends, but I'm always open to new people, right? Always open to having, uh, making some new friends. And I thought this topic would be particularly interesting because, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but let me just take you a little intro of our guest today. Our guest is Sari Ibrahim. He's uh, He's a financial planner and a member of the Bank on Yourself organization helps real estate investors, business owners, and full-time employees grow safe and predictable wealth, regardless of market conditions, using a financial strategy that's been around for uh, over 160 years. He's not been around this, the market, <laughs> uh, the uh, conditions, and the uh, idea. Yeah. Saris started his journey when he was in grad school, completing his MBA. MBAs are great. We all know that. He worked for companies like Allstate, Blue Cross and Blue Shield, Cigna Health Spring, and Humana before founding Financial Asset Protection, a financial services firm that focuses on one sole concept, the bank on yourself concept, also known as the Infinite Banking Concept. Oh my goodness, we got a, a lot there to go through and d- unpack, but I am really happy. Sari, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Hi, Santa. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to be with you. Um, so, I think I said this in our initial conversation. You know, when I just hear personal finances, my eyes glaze, my ears close down, and I have a feeling that's not just me. <laughs> so, um, so how do you get people like me uh, to think like a bank?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I would start with first, you know. So the, the reason why I kind of to give a little bit more context, you know. So the name of sh- the, the name of my show is Thinking Like a Bank. And the reason why I named it that is because, as h- with helping people with financial planning and using the bank on yourself concept, like you mentioned, also known as the infinite banking concept, um, it requires a different way of thinking. You're going from thinking like a consumer to thinking like a banker, thinking like an investor. Um, and this really started from like you know working with insurance companies, working with financial institutions, and seeing how they evaluate risk, seeing how they take opportunities. And I've kind of jotted these down into, you know, documented these over the last five or six years of these methods and principles. And that's why I started the show. That's why I'm doing these guest, guest, guest appearances to talk about these principles and these strategies that banks use and how people could apply them to find more financial freedom in their life. So if I were to answer your original question, how do I get you to think like a bank? I would first want to understand what you're doing right now financially. Like, you know, what's going on right now? Are you still working? Are you retired? Do you plan on retiring in the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whenever I want to understand your financial health right now. Um, and then from there, I would kind of, um, you know, figure out what, your, you know, what kind of works for you, what has worked for you and introduce the bank on yourself concept. And I can kind of I could dig into more on that. What is the bank on yourself concept and how it and how it actually helps people?
0: Yeah, let's do that. Let, let, before we do, though, what do you think is uh, the, you know, the influencing factors? Why are people so afraid of this topic?
1: yeah so to get right into it so the, the bank on yourself concept um if we're if we're if we're asking why for example like if 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 we're gonna think of some sort of financial vehicle out there some sort of tool that's gonna create you know tax deferred growth guaranteed growth regardless of market conditions liquidity regardless of financial situations uh, and other financial benefits of that there's only one out of 450 vehicles out there that could do that and that is uh, dividend paying whole life insurance So when people hear that, like whole life insurance right away, they're like, oh, whoa, you know, like I thought this was, you know, financial freedom. I didn't think I was going to buy life insurance. And that's not the point. The point isn't to buy life insurance. The point is we're using a financial tool that could check all the boxes for us, the tax deferred box, the guaranteed growth, the, the growth regardless of market conditions, the liquidity, all those aspects. And that can all be found in dividend paying whole life insurance. So I think, Santo, the reason why people are scared of this is because of what they think they know about life insurance specifically whole life insurance. Uh, for people who follow like Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman, you know, they have like a lot of, you know, there's a lot of negative feedback around whole life insurance. Like it's a bad investment. It's too expensive. You can do more by investing in the stock market, buying term, investing the rest. And, and those are kind of different arguments, different perspectives on this. But I think that the main point is that people are, don't know more about whole life insurance, uh, especially designed whole life insurance, which we could definitely talk about, you know, wh- what makes it specially designed.
0: Sure. Sure. But you know what? I actually, I want to step back because I really meant, why are people afraid of their personal finances?
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. I think people are afraid. So, um, when I deal with a lot of clients, for example, and there's one section on the financial analysis that we're working with, it talks about debt. And sometimes I talk to clients and they're like, you know, I have so much debt. I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. Like they have like four or five credit cards, mortgage, personal loans, maybe a second mortgage too, and they have all these loans and they don't know where to go because they don't, you know, first of all, they don't want to, they don't want to zoom in on it too much because it's going to remind them of too much negativity. But I think the opposite is true. I think that when you zoom in on it and you focus on it, you're more likely to solve that problem. So I think that's, that's to answer your question originally. I think that's one reason why people are scared is because they don't want to face something that's negative. Um, Another reason too is like Um, they don't know, they don't know where to even start. So I, I created something called a a personal financial tracker and I give this away for, to clients for free. It's just an Excel sheet and it has like their checking account savings. You know, if they have cash value in their life insurance policy, their 401k IRA, all their assets on one side, and then income they earn for that day. And then on the right side of it, all their debt, like credit card, number one, credit card, number two, credit card, number three, and so on the mortgage and all these. And I, and I do actually believe it or not, I do this every day. So every day, around like seven o'clock in the morning, I log into all my accounts and it takes me about 10 minutes to do this. And I go through the Excel sheet and I plug in each figure for each section. So check-in savings, everything. And then people ask like, why do this every day? And the answer to that is because when you measure something so closely, you're more likely to control it. So if you are, if you have a lot of debt and you know the debt, you know exactly where it is, which credit cards you're more likely to uh, accomplish, you're more likely to solve that problem.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really, really good point that I hope listeners are getting because um, it's it's the opposite of avoiding, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it's when we are in those kinds of positions, those financial positions where we just feel like the hole is way too deep and we're never going to get out, the, 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 the usual reaction is, okay, I'm just going to ex- avoid it. I'm just going to yep. ignore it. And then it gets worse and worse. And, of course, then our anxiety, our stress, everything goes up. Mm -hmm. But you're right. I think – and that's confronting, you know, to have to look at it every day. Um, But I get it. I think that's – I think it's good advice.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think as you're doing it every day, what's going to happen is – for that day, that later on that day, you're going to make decisions that are probably. Just, this is especially true for entrepreneurs. You're going to make decisions that are going to revolve around your goals. So, so you might not have any debt at all. So every day you're logging in, and the debt section could be zero. But what about the other side, the asset side? You're going to be thinking, how do I increase, you know, my my savings account? How do I increase my profit account? How do I increase my 401k account, my IRA account? You're thinking about how to add into that plus side too. So it's not just about avoiding the debt too. Uh, but also how do you build on the asset side? And, and I think that if you are looking at it every day, you're more likely to achieve them and more likely to increase those results.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in, in the intro that I, I read about you, it says uh, regardless of market conditions. Mm-hmm. So how can that be? You know, we're, we're, we're in such a volatile, <laughs> time, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that's a valid question. It's a good question. I think that, so so as mentioned already with the bank on yourself concept, it uses out of all the v- financial vehicles out there, the one that the only one that can create or guaranteed wealth, guaranteed growth, regardless of market conditions is dividend paying whole life insurance. And the reason why is because let, let me give you an example. Let's say um, you are going to use one insurance company and this insurance company is a mutually owned life insurance company. They've been in business for over 160 years. So when you buy into them with their whole life policy, you are now a mutual owner of this of this insurance company. You have your policy. Let's say throughout the years, you've been funding premiums. You've been putting money into this policy over the years. Let's just say, for example, 10 years later, you have $100,000 in cash value. It doesn't have to be $100,000. Well, let's just say it is. Now, let's say there's another recession or something bad happens in the stock market. It goes down dramatically. People lose a lot of money in their 401ks and their IRAs in their mutual funds, index funds, uh, like what happened in 2008. Um, Now, the fact that you have this life insurance policy, the cash value of it, the growth of it, and the actual value of it is not dependent on market conditions, meaning that it's not tied to the markets and the insurance company is not growing the, the, the cash value based off of market conditions. What they're doing is they're increasing the value of the policy based off of the insurance company's performance, not the... Uh, market conditions, and then people will say, "Well, what is the insurance company then investing in?" And the insurance company is typically about sixty to eighty percent of their funds are typically invested in the bond market, and the other twenty to forty percent are invested into private loans to people and to um, institutions. So they're very conservative because they have to be very conservative. Um, so and they have a way insurance companies of not falling into market volatility. So that's what you're actually getting when you when you have a whole life policy you are um, essentially working with an insurance company that's been in business for over 160 years and that is not hindered by market conditions. So that's how it grows. That's why and how the cash value grows regardless of market conditions. Well,
0: and, and that's, yeah, I mean, it sort of does change at least my impression of what whole life was all about because growing up, I either had a misunderstanding or I didn't have a good perception. And that kind of leads to the quest, the next question I asked, uh, I said I would like to ask you and that's you know the a lot a lot of folks are risk averse yeah and so it's like my question was what's the prognosis for success for those risk averse client well uh, I think from what you've already said we know the answer it's it's good mm-hmm. so risk is not as much of a factor in this conversation in this uh context yeah
1: exactly yeah so if, if, if for example so that's a good question so I think If you were to measure risk um, between one and 99, one being absolute safe, nothing will happen to it. Um, 99 being um, extremely volatile, Um, cash value life insurance would be at number one next to money in a checking account, savings, CD, um, and other forms of cash in, in, in institutions. That's where cash value life insurance would be at one. 99 would be like owning individual stocks in a startup tech company. That's kind of the, the, the idea of volatility and, and risk. Now here's the twist though. So let's say for example somebody's like, well, what if I want to have higher risk in different part, different stages of my life? What if I want those higher risk investments? Well, you could do both. So you could have your money in whole life insurance, in cash value whole life insurance, the bank kind on of your self way, and then borrow from that and then use that for the more volatile investments, but your base, your foundation is still at that one level, that one mark. And I think that everybody should be closer to that one, uh, regardless of your age. You sort of have some reserves at the one level, one or two level, um, while it's still taking advantage of the higher risk levels, but still your 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 foundation, your core is at that one mark.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're, um, just uh, let me do a quick in, uh, ID. We're at uh, halfway through. This is Office Hours with a Practical Prof and Friends, and I'm uh, your host, Dr. Santo B. Marabella. And today, uh, with me is Sari Ibrahim, and he is the CEO, President, and Founder of Financial Asset Protection. And we're talking about, you know, trying to trying to take on a new lens, perhaps, around uh, personal finances, because um, what you're talking about is really. If people are worried about you know safety and, and risk and sec- or security, this is more for that uh, for those that taste.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm guessing sometimes there's less success or perhaps maybe even failure. Um, what's your perspective on failure?
1: Yeah, I think from us, obviously, from a, of course, from an entrepreneur standpoint, I think that failure failure is a requirement. Right? It's almost like. Um, people have different perspectives on it. So like one perspective of failure is that it's going to bring you down. So you should avoid failure. And then the opposite of it, usually entrepreneurs are, it's um, at least in my experience, it's failure is the, is the prerequisite for the next step. In other words, if you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to go through the failure first. It's a requirement. And it's also, and, it, and I never, and I don't believe that it's always a failure. For example, let's say you start a business, you invest $100,000. Two years later, the business doesn't work. You have to go back and get a full-time job now. I don't, in my opinion, I don't think that that $100,000 and those two years were a complete loss at all. I think if anything, you probably gain more in that two year period um, than you did in like 30 years of employment. You know, I, I the reason why is because everything was on you, the marketing, the sales, the project management, the product development, everything was on you during that time. So it changes you. And I think that even though the business wasn't financially successful, I think that you walked away with success. And then here's the thing that, that you can go back to your job and then Go back into entrepreneurship again. Nobody ever says that there's a limit to how many, how much failure you can have. Because here's the thing: um, you know, when we think about, for example, school, right? Like you're in high school and you get an F in math, obviously that's a bad thing. From an academic standpoint, that's a bad thing. It's not like you could take that course again and it'll be fine. Like if people aren't gonna think about it that way, you're not gonna think about all right, I could take this course like two or three or four times. You don't have that much time in a high school period, nor do you want to F on your report card. But I think that entrepreneurship is not like that at all. Um, entrepreneurship is like, I'm going to keep getting F's in this class until I finally get a C. And then after I get a C, maybe 10 years or 15 years later, I'll get like an A or B in it. That's what entrepreneurship is. So it's like failure
0: and then working your way up to it. What about for individuals? Is it the same?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Depending on your goals. Yeah. A lot of the content I talk about is, you know, for entrepreneurs, but yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, for individuals, absolutely. Cause people have different goals and, and, and things that they want to accomplish. Like, Think about like sports, right? When you start out for the sport, nobody starts off like amazing at it. You know, Santo there's an awesome book. Have you ever read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck? No. Okay, no, that book is enough. that book is amazing. Um, and she talks about this. She talks about the growth mindset versus fixed mindset. So, in like like in sports, you know, usually professional athletes, when you hear about their stories and you look into their history. You hear about them like they never made it on the basketball team, you know, they're throughout high school, whatever the case is, so it's something like that. And it's because of how many times they tried over and over again until they actually got it. So people, I think a lot of times confuse like talent with like practice where it's like the talent comes naturally to you. And that's what you should proceed on. You should proceed on your natural abilities. And if you don't have that natural ability, you should avoid the thing that you're going to accomplish in individual, you know, in individual capacity or whatever. But I think obviously, you know, the book growth mindset by Carol Dweck, it disputes a lot of those, those things, those those perceptions that people have in that, that everything you want to accomplish is based off of practice and failure and and learning from those failures and consistent improvement, meaning that if it doesn't work one time and doesn't work a second, it, you could do it. You know, there's no limit to how many times you could do something over and over until it works.
0: Yeah, I (laughs) I wish we could... Well, we do. We'll have this recorded because there's a, a number of employers that I would like to send this to because <laughs> <laughs> their employees are scared. They're, they're scared of failing and the individuals are scared. And I think the point that you're making is failure is not terminal. Yep, exactly. Failure is a transition. It's a step. It's it's a movement towards um, or away from something, but it's, but it's not the end. And I don't yeah. know where we got that in our minds. <laughs> you know that that's the end of it it's not uh, I like I like I think that's a really healthy perspective I, I appreciate that um, so yeah for you this has been a, an interesting journey like so what what attracted you to this particular niche um, you have a lot of great experience a lot of great corporate experience um, you know that ent- entrepreneurial spirit that a lot of people have it sounds like you had that bug um, but what, what draws you to this?
1: Yeah, definitely. So um, while I was doing my master's degree in business and I, I, I originally wanted to be a project manager, so I got my concentration in project management and I wanted to get into project management. Um, but look how other things in life, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not what you think it is. Like it's not, you know, just because of, I, I, I assumed that I was going to like project management, but once I got into the courses and I was doing some internships, I didn't really see myself doing that for the rest of my life. So I I was working at Allstate and I, and I was really, you know, and it's, and Santa, the reason why I say this is because it's kind of unusual for, for a lot of people. Like I was the only one in my class um, who was working in insurance. Everybody else was doing project management, technology, more of like the the younger fields, younger industries, you know? So insurance is kind of like an older industry to get into. Um, And, but I, for some reason, I really liked it because of the way that insurance companies thought the way, and then applying those principles that I've learned with clients, like, Having uh, translating this material to clients was really intriguing to me. Risk management, how insurance companies are were always looking to grow and expand their client bases, but also were picky with their clients too, because they didn't want to take on too much risk. That also, that, that started to open my mind up to problem solving. So I, be, I started to enjoy problem solving and I enjoyed when I would talk to a client and they would say, you know, they had this problem and I was able to solve it, you know, using Uh, either the insurance company beforehand, or if there was a claim and then kind of working with the clients to work through it, I enjoyed doing that. And then that led to Medicare. So I was a Medicare consultant and I was working with clients who were 65 and older. They were retiring specifically in the city of Chicago. And then I enjoyed that as well, because here we had these people that were like over the age of 65, and they were getting letters like the city of Chicago was going to drop their health insurance and they had to choose their own. That happened, actually. About five years ago, the city of Chicago dropped their insurance coverage, And they had to get their own insurance outside of their union plan or outside of their employer plan. And these people were like scared, like, what do I do? You know, how do I do this? And I was like, I got this. I know I, I understand this. Let me show you. And people would like say like, Oh my God, before I met you, you know, this was like uh, really difficult. It was really, it was really stressful, but you made it really easy. And not that, you know, and I, and I, I don't think I'm that smart. I think I'm just that passionate. I like to work with people. I like to listen. And then once I started to come across those moments, you know, and I was like, what else could I do like this? You know, what else is out there that I could do? And then I read the book, the bank on yourself revolution by Pamela Yellen. And I was like, all right, you know, this, the book talks about, people and their financial struggles. And, you know, in 2008, what happened with 401ks, IRAs and how, and I was like, people assume that, you know, when you have your money in the stock market, that's the safest place to put, not the safest place, but that's the best place to put your money. And I was like, that's a, that's, that's a problematic way of looking at it. And I wanted to solve that problem, which is why I became a bank on yourself professional, why I started the podcast, why I'm a guest on other people's shows and why I'm an avid, you know, um, an advocate of safe money and, and guaranteed growth, because I want as many people as possible to know about these strategies.
0: You know, it's, you've used the sports metaphors, um, but that's really what you are, you're a coach. And people want somebody they can trust to talk about this stuff, because it is a little bit of uh, scary or intimidating or just different from what they're used to. And so that's really good, because I think... Um, you know, I keep saying to my students constantly, please graduate fast and take over the world <laughs> because the, their attitudes are similar to yours. They're, they're, they care about people. And, you know, that's sometimes not found in our mm-hmm. businesses today. And I, I think, you know, we need to go back. Sometimes uh, going forward is really about going back to the basics. And that's what you're talking about. You're talking about, you know, caring about people. I, I, I just want to um, let people know they can find you on your website at um, F-I-N, com, right? Exactly, yep. Yeah, and um, yeah, just to, to read, to learn more about it, but also to just start addressing and dealing with these things. I think. My message and my point in, in wanting to share uh, this episode with you is to is that we have to talk about this stuff, and this is you know one of the parts of business and one of the parts of our professional life that maybe a lot of us don't like to talk about or are afraid to talk about. so um, I'm really grateful what um, real quick, what do you think's going on with uh the inflation? Yeah, so obviously you know if you if you haven't
1: heard <laughs> inflation is <laughs> happening right now, you could see it. The cost of goods and services going up in some areas dramatically, like in real estate, the values of homes, especially like in Chicago and other big cities, the values of homes have gone up dramatically. And, um, the cost of lumber and the cost of other items to build houses, that's also gone up too, which is another reason why prices, home prices are going up. Um, so we see these, you know, increases and it's obviously because of the shortage of, shortage of supplies from 2020, from last year, from the pandemic so uh and that's going to result in a lot of other prices going up so like wages are going to go up hopefully um and things like that are going to go up so i guess in the sense of financial services and financial planning is what do i do with my money during inflation and the answer to that is you want to place your money in financial vehicles that increase with inflation that means when inflation goes up so does the value of your of that money of that cash where it's sitting and one place that doesn't happen is in bank accounts so when you have money sitting in a bank account in a checking account, savings account, not earning any interest or very little interest, like 0.01%, what's happening is you have your money sitting in the bank, let's just say $30,000 and the value of everything is going up. What's happening really is your buying power is going down because the ability to use that money and trade that money for goods and services reduces during inflation, which, is, which means that you want that money sitting somewhere that rises with inflation. As inflation grows, So do the dividends or compound interest associated with that account also increase with, with inflation. So that means when inflation happens, it doesn't really matter which, which position you're in because your, your cash is also growing with inflation.
0: So what kind of accounts for people that are wondering, okay, what's a growing account in inflation?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, talking about bank on yourself again, so bank on yourself, the use of dividend, (laughs) the use of dividend paying whole life insurance. Um, you know the, the whole life insurance. When when inflation happens, the dividends grow, and the reason why dividends grow with whole life insurance is because if you remember, I mentioned it's you're buying into a mutually owned insurance company, and what you know with these insurance companies during inflation, what's going to happen is they're going to increase the cost of insurance because obviously inflation is going up. They have to pay their employees more. They have to pay for more expenses. Everything goes up. Just like every other industry, every other place, everything's going to go up. So. While inflation is happening, the dividends also increase with it. And when dividends increase, so does your cash value. It grows with it. Um, So that's one place that you could put it. Another place I would recommend is investing in real estate. You can invest in real estate as a passive investor. That's where you just, all you're doing is you're not doing any, you don't have to find the deals. You don't have to do anything. All you're doing is finding the investor and the investor is going out, finding the deals and you're just investing in his or her fund. You could do so with like 10 or $15,000, you can invest in funds. You could, you know, obviously it's all about the person. You want to find the individual person, uh, do research on them, Google them, um, check them on LinkedIn, um, check them on a couple other sites like biggerpockets.com and make sure they're legit, make sure they don't have any outstanding claims against them or anything like that and invest with them. You can invest like ten or $15,000. They do all the work. And again, inflation is good for that because markets are going to go up. So will your returns go up with it? Or at least the uh, expected money that you'll get back would go up too.
0: Right. This is great. This is great. I really appreciate your advice and your coaching. I think it really kind of uh, softens this fear that folks have. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you took time to out to uh, be with us on today's episode. Thank you, Sari.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, if listeners want, I can send them a free copy of a book. Um, it's called Becoming Your Own Banker by Nelson Nash, which teaches you how to become your own banker. Um, if you reach out to me at finassetprotection.com, I'll send you a free copy of that book. Um, you can either email me, um, my LinkedIn is in, the, is in the website. You can message me on LinkedIn, or you can book a free appointment and I'll send you the
0: free copy of the book. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sari. Thanks, Samuel. Office hours with the practical prop and friends. And my friend today has been Sarah Ibrahim, who is the CEO, president, and also founder of First Financial Asset Protection. And he's, I'd say, a financial coach and gives a lot of good advice. So thanks so much for being with us. And uh, until next time. Thank you. This has been Office Hours with The Practical Prof and Friends, a production of Marabella Enterprises. Follow us on Twitter at Practical Prof and Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at The Practical Prof. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.